as I do that, this week I've been studying. I've been studying Samson. I've been watching different studies on Samson, hearing what different people had to say. Pastor Craig Groeschel, he had a lot to say about it. I was in Strong's. I was in the Word, of course. I was even on chat, GPT, to see what that computer would say about Samson because I was wondering. It was surprising how much the computer did know about that. It's amazing that when it comes to the things of God, how we can question what God wants. I was asking someone the other day, honestly, don't you wonder how bad Sodom and Gomorrah really was in comparison to society now? Honestly, there was an estimated 500,000 people that lived there. They were looking, God was looking for 10 righteous people. If by the numbers, if you do that math, that is two one-thousandths of the population, and none righteous could be found. What God is looking for is someone to be that visible and consistent bridge in this world. What do I mean by that? What would turn a society around? I think as a church, sometimes we can hide behind uncertainty. We can act like we want to get it so right for God that we're afraid to take a step at all. But what God's been looking for has never changed. Ezekiel was written sometime between 593 and 571 BC. What God was searching for can be found in Ezekiel 2230. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. He found no one. How many times does God look across the land now and find no one who's going to stand for him? As I said, there is this gap. Who is going to stand in it? We can't expect, when I grew up, I had these heroes of faith that I always thought they would stand in the gap and I wouldn't have to. But there comes a time in every person's life when God is going to show you, here's the gap, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to stand in me or are you going to just stare at the gap? No, I was going to come for men today because it could be really easy because Dina spoke to women last week and men are like, well, what did I get? You know, like, and I just wanted to give you a couple weeks before Father's Day of just giving things about the men. But I don't think I'm going to do that. But on that note, men, for too long, I think we've allowed society to define us rather than God's word. God made us to be strong in him. And there are times that in myself, when I try to be strong, that I am everything but God's will. He called you to stand in the gap to fight the good fight. He called you to love your wife and your kids. We come to Samson, and I was reading. Samson judges, what is it, 13 through 16. An angel of the Lord appears to a woman who we do not even learn her name. Her husband's name is Manoah. They were barren. They could not have children. This angel foretells that there is going to be a son born to them. Now, during this time, the Israelites had been under the power of the Philistines for about 40 years. But when God, when God decides to deliver, nothing can hold it back. And I say that to us now as certainly as it was said back then. And so he appears and he says to this woman, you're going to have a son. He will begin to deliver. But from the very beginning, God's spirit will be upon him. 
When God came upon Samson, he came upon him in these supernatural ways with this strength that was beyond anything that we had ever experienced before or probably will ever see. Samson was to be a Nazarite. This vow was laid out in Numbers chapter 6. And a Nazarite, in a sense, was like a non-priest way of committing to being God's person. The plan was in place before you set foot on this earth. I say that because we can question so many times what's going on. And what's wild about this is this Nazarite vow. Here's how it went. There were a few rules. Do not drink alcohol. In fact, avoid grapes, raisins, which is easy for me, and don't even go near anything that is off of a vine. No razor is going to touch their head, their hair is to be long, and they are not to touch any unclean thing, especially dead bodies. These were the vows that were to be taken. And what's amazing about this is before that baby was even born, that angel required his mother to follow those vows. That would preach in itself. What could that preach? Don't expect it from your children if you're not willing to uphold it yourself. Here's what's wild about this Nazarite vow. Don't touch any dead thing. There was a rule that said, even if you were in the same room and someone suddenly died, it violated your vow. They had to have their heads shaved. They had to rededicate themselves. The Bible even goes as far to say the previous days do not count. When God's word says it's a sin, my opinion doesn't factor in. And you may look at that and be like, that is totally unfair. That's what God's word said because that's how seriously the vow was taken. There is a power of the Holy Spirit. There is an anointing of the Holy Spirit. There is an Acts chapter 1-8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you that the church needs to step into, that we need to understand when we step into that, our lives will look different than everyone else. And so Samson one day, it says in Judges 14, 1-2, now Samson went down to Timnah. And he saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and he told his father and mother, saying, I've seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Things that make weak men and, or make strong men and women weak, number one is when we get this attitude, I want it. I want it. That temptation, you see something and you just want it. Beauty is not a bad thing, but seeking beauty in the wrong places, that is a bad thing. He left his hometown of Zora and he walked four miles. Now, for those of you who get up in the morning and run, I don't understand you. I have never accidentally walked four miles anywhere. And so when he walked four miles, he finds himself in enemy territory. It didn't happen by accident. Deuteronomy 7.3 had said this, you must not intermarry with them. Them meaning people who do not serve the almighty God. Do not let your daughters and sons marry their sons or daughters. If you're sitting here, the devil knows your type. He is better than Match.com. Like there's eHarmony. What's the opposite of that? E-destructomy. Like he is about the e-destructomy. What you get in this place, though, and when you say you want it, you think, I don't care what God says. I don't care what the people say. I don't care what that church full of hypocrites, because everybody's thrown that around at some point, says. I don't care because I want it. 
You know what great is? Great is keeping your vows to God. He gave up great for good. He gave up great for some honey. This is wild. Dig into that more in a minute because it's really strange. Another attitude that we can get when we're strong that can make us weak is saying that we deserve it. We deserve it. You ever get there like, I deserve this? Look at all I've done. Look at all I've endured. I deserve this. Sometime later, he's walking along and he turns aside. The problem happens when we turn aside. This was a man in his supernatural strength that when a lion comes upon him, he can tear a lion in half. The problem in our lives, it begins when we start to turn aside. We like to pretend that bad decisions just happen upon us, right? Like with that Nazarite vow, like I was just in the room and somebody fell over dead. It wasn't me. Like we can do that when it comes to walking right into sin sometimes. We can act like, what? I don't know what happened. There are things that the Holy Spirit has provided you deliverance from. Know that, know that, and the enemy has a way of minimizing situations. That lion that was ripped in half as he's walking, as he turns aside, let me tell you something about dead lions. They are carcasses. It was decomposing. It stunk. There were flies around it, but here's such a guy thing, but there's honey in it. I, I gotta have that. Let me tell you, I don't think that was the only location in all the land where he could have gotten honey. Samson didn't have x-ray vision. I said he had superhuman strength. He didn't have x-ray vision. When he saw the lion carcass, he didn't just like look in with x-ray vision and see, oh, there's the honey. And I'll tell you what, if there was a carcass and there were things buzzing around it, I wouldn't take time to go over to be like, are those bees or are those flies? What type of insect is that? I would not do that. The honey, he couldn't smell the honey because honey doesn't have an odor. Even if he could smell it, it couldn't overpower the dead lion stink. It was all bad, but the way the enemy works is even when it's all bad, he'll have us digging around in it. And I don't care how good honey is. That honey had to have some bad seasoning going on with it that day. Isn't it amazing, though, how we rationalize it? Have you ever seen someone doing that who's, like, accepting just third best in their life? But you're like, no, it's all good. And you're thinking, no, it's not all good. You don't even believe that. He thought he deserved it because he forgot in whose strength he killed that lion. And I say that to all of us because we need to remember in whose strength we operate. If God delivered you from it, do not go back there. What seems sweet can only lead to destruction at times. And a dead lion can be just as dangerous as a living lion when you've been delivered from it. Pride enters in at a certain point, but before it does, I want it. I deserve it. The other lie we tell ourselves is, I can handle it. That devil's specialty is placing things in your path, letting you think that you can handle it, letting you, telling you all the things before that you handled so well. Well, let me rewind for you. You didn't handle it as well as you thought you did, probably. Right, But the devil's going to be like, look what a champ you are. You don't even need God. Look how well you're doing with these things. We like to think that we know how spiritual downward spirals work. 
I was watching a video on TikTok, and it was of a person who, I can't even believe I'm saying this, was seeing how close they could get to the edge of a waterfall. Well, you can imagine how this TikTok video ended. Exit screen right. It was amazing to me, because I'm thinking, who does this, right? And we can laugh, but spiritually, we do the same thing sometimes, right? Yeah, I mean, I know this is dangerous. A little closer, a little closer. There are, every time I look on the news, tales of people who hop the fence at national parks to get the selfie. All right? How close to the edge can I get? That fence is for everyone else. And it ends in destruction. The devil likes to make us think that we have got it handled. Here, when you fast forward in a few chapters, you have the strongest man who ever lived. You have his beautiful hair that is gone. You have his eyes which have been gouged out. You have over 3,000 people standing as he's in front of them in this big meeting hall or stadium, if you will, and they are calling on him to be a laughingstock. And we say that, like, how can that happen? How does it happen? Because I'm more like Samson than I'd like to admit sometimes. I mean, strong and all, yes. But I mean, some of the temptations that, that he has. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> There's no mild form of destruction. And I think sometimes that we can think relative to the destruction I've seen in other people, mine's not as bad. The enemy doesn't just want your destruction, but he wants you to be on display. If you claim Christ, one of his goals is going to be for you to be a laughingstock, to be on display, and for him to be right in the front row cheering as loud as anyone else. God is with you. God is for you. In myself, I am weak. In myself, I am vulnerable. In myself, I need to remember that I need to cry out, take me to the rock that is higher than I. The devil is about shame, but Jesus Christ is about redemption. He wants to use you for his glory. The devil wants you to stay in the pit, but Jesus specializes in pulling you out of the pit. Instead of focusing on, I want it, my attitude needs to be different. Because what's wild is it's not just this doom and gloom kind of thing. Yeah, oh, I want it, I deserve it, I can handle it. But on the God side of things, I need to get to a place where I say, I want Jesus Christ. Here's what's wild. It's easy on a Sunday morning when you're with a couple hundred people to say, yeah, I want Jesus because we're singing about him. I want Jesus because we got blue shirts on. I want Jesus. But later this week, when things aren't as bright as they are in the sanctuary, can you cry it out then? This is when it gets tough. This is when it gets hard. When you are faced with adversity, can you say, I want Jesus? I do not want the situation. I don't want whatever the world's offering me. I want Jesus Christ. That attitude of Paul, I don't want to know anything among you except Jesus Christ. That attitude. When the chips are down, when the temptation is staring you in the face, can you say, I want you, God? There have been times that I have said that through tears. There was one time, as surely as I'm sitting here in my living room, remember that? Sitting there in the living room, me and my wife. Just God. God. 
we need you. We were up against a situation we had absolutely no clue what would happen. The clock was ticking. The next day would be a huge day. And all we could do was cry. And all we could say was Jesus. But in those moments, he is so real. He was already working it out. See, he was already there in that next day. We were going to go into a meeting that could have crazy consequences. But he went before us. And it's amazing. It is amazing how the peace of God can be in a room. I say that to you because it is not always going to be easy to say, I want Jesus. You may be looking at the report. You may be looking at the collection notice. You may be looking at whatever is going on with your kids. But can you say, despite this, I want you, Jesus, because I know you can show up. I want your strength in this situation. I may not be Samson strong, but I want your strength in this situation. I want your righteousness in this situation because my righteousness, it will only end in death. The world tells us that we're entitled, but we're not entitled to anything. See, God doesn't owe us. That second part, I deserve it. Do you know what we deserve, truthfully? We deserve death. The wages of sin is death. When I worked for me, when I worked for the world, when I worked for the devil, my paycheck was death. That's what I deserved. God's kingdom doesn't exist to bring me glory. It exists to bring him glory. There was a time, according to Ephesians 2, that I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I used to walk in those when I was conformed to the ways of this world. Colossians 2.13, when you were dead in your trespasses and in the sinfulness of your nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of our trespasses. I say that right now because someone kind of feels buried. And maybe you just need someone to whisper to your heart in Jesus' name those words of Ephesians 5. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. That deserving attitude can become a humble attitude so quickly. It may not take weeks. It may not take months. I don't want to have to serve God. I get to serve God. It's a privilege to serve God. I want in the morning when I wake up, I want it to be something that, God, I know what I deserve, and I know that you stepped in. In every situation, that will square you up. I want God. I deserve death. And that last one, I cannot handle it on my own. Okay, men in this room, I know you. Now everybody has a GPS on their phone, right? Back in the day, you did not even have MapQuest. When I was young, we had the Rand McNally map. And maybe it would be within three years of the date when we were traveling, right? It'd be like the wagon trails and stuff on it and stuff, and we're trying to navigate. And what's wild is that 
not saying that this was limited to my father or any of your fathers, but men typically do not want to stop and ask for directions. Trip time, two hours. We've been traveling four hours. We're in another state. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. You know you've done that, and heaven forbid that your wife even question your navigation skills, right? You cannot handle it, and it's okay to admit that. One of the greatest steps you will take in Jesus Christ is when you say, I cannot handle this alone. Whatever the situation is, I can't handle this alone. If it's a bad situation, you know you can't handle it. But maybe we need to start bringing the good situations before him. God, I can't handle this success on my own. God, I can't handle this favor on my own. I can't handle that on my own because I need you to keep my mind in line so that I don't start thinking that it's me, but I know that it is you that is making all blessings fall on me. I need to close here in a second because we got to baptize some people. So check this out, chat GPT. I'm sure you've heard about it. So it's like, you know, the robot revolution that could take over the world, I guess, is what they're saying. But you can ask it any question. And so no lie, the other night, if you just saw the questions that I was asking at 2 in the morning, it was like the craziest thing. Like, are jellyfish edible? How long do groundhogs live? And, like, it tells you these things, right? And the more it would tell me, the more that I'm just like, I have found my person here. I am asking it these questions. And so as I get reeled in, I ask it, like, what are some of the lessons that we can learn from Samson? And I close on this. The first thing that we can learn are the consequences of misusing strength. And I'm like, what? What? Is this Billy Graham or is this Chat GPT? I mean, this was deep stuff, right? This, God gives you strength, do not misuse it. The second thing is the danger of succumbing to temptation. There is danger in it. There has always been danger in it and understand that you are not the exception. The third was the importance of obedience to God. The fourth were the consequences of arrogance and the last one's the one that I loved the power of repentance and redemption God is not done God is not done and your redemption story is a beautiful thing for everyone that we are going to baptize today there is a story they may be young and they may be older but there is a story do not forget your redemption story do not be quiet about your redemption story when people are around have that Foch Hammond's way about you and say hey do you have time to hear my testimony and whatever their answer is tell them your testimony that's what it's about I love the part of that Nazarite vow that said the previous days don't count. Why do I say that? Because we've got today. We've got today. Has God done awesome things in the past? Oh, he has. But I'm not resting on those things because there is more in Jesus Christ that I want. I want to pray. And then I'm going to ask for our crew that's going to get baptized to get ready. My wife will be helping keep me organized on this. And we are going to be getting some pictures. Let's pray and I'll give you some instructions. Father, I thank you for today. 
I thank you for the way that you, in your grace and your mercy, bring family together. Father, I thank you that your redemption is greater than any scheme of the devil. And Father, I thank you for this church family. I speak rich blessing on them, God. In Jesus' name, amen.